Verse 19, so when he had received food, he was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Immediately, he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God, that all who heard him were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priests. But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. And then the disciples took him by night and led him down through a wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. And he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. And when brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. And Father, we just humble our hearts before you. We ask now as we continue in our worship that you would help us by the assistance of your Holy Spirit to have a receptive and an open heart and ear that would want to hear what you'd say to us through the word of God this morning. As always, we ask that we wouldn't hear wise or persuasive words of a man, but experience that demonstration of your Holy Spirit and your power speaking directly and personally to our hearts. So bless your word. We ask this expectantly together in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You know, God's work of preparation uh, is indeed a process. It has kind of stages and steps that we kind of have to be willing to work through and embrace in our lives. And Saul of Tarsus, who we look at in our text here this morning, by all means becomes ultimately we know Paul the Apostle and probably apart from Jesus as a human being one of the most effectively used servants of God throughout church history yet the Lord took Saul through a process of preparation before he used him to the great extent that he did the Lord took him through a process to prepare him most efficiently. And we see really some of that preparation process happening in the early days of Saul of Tarsus's life here after his conversion. Remember Saul, who hated Jesus, who hated Christianity and this thing called the way, Saul, who was the greatest persecutor against the church, destroying Christians and the church, has just been powerfully converted now by the Lord Jesus Christ. He's been humbled. He's been broken in his spirit by an experience with the Lord on the road, on the way to Damascus. And now he is a fully submitted follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as the result of that experience, the Lord also informed Saul that he was his chosen vessel to now go and 
preach Christ and promote the things of the Lord to others throughout the Gentile population, that he was a chosen vessel to promote the lordship and salvation of Jesus Christ. In fact, Saul, many years later, recounting his own conversion experience and this commission he received from Jesus for ministry describes it in Acts chapter 26. This is how Saul described the commission he received from Jesus. He says that Jesus said these words to him, but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose that you to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Jesus having given that commission, that clear calling to ministry to Saul of Tarsus, then left Saul, as we saw in our last verses, really for three days sitting there in darkness. He was temporarily blinded because of the experience of the glory of the Lord that he saw. And there he sat for three days. He did not eat or drink anything. He was just praying, it seems, for guidance and the next steps from the Lord. He then receives instruction from the Lord what he is now to do as a, as a representative of his. He's filled and baptized with the Holy Spirit. And it's then at that point in verse 9, after that experience has now happened, we read that Saul then, verse 19, received food. He hadn't eaten for three days. He received food and was strengthened. And then Saul spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. So notice, Saul, as a brand new convert, spends the first season of his brand new life as a follower of Jesus, eating and spending time together with disciples of the Lord, with fellow followers of Christ there in Damascus. He receives some needed nourishment to strengthen his weakened body. He also, it says there, spends some days just together with the disciples in Damascus and certainly just enjoying the companionship and the company and the fellowship and the encouragement of the disciples of the Lord now because they're his new spiritual family. The very people he went to destroyed, he now loves and he wants to spend time together with. You know, it's interesting. John tells us in his writing uh, there that one of the ways we can know that we have passed from spiritual death to spiritual life is that all of a sudden we now love the brethren. That is, we love Christians. I don't know what your experience was like, but before I was saved, I tried to stay away from Christians because they made me feel convicted and kind of uncomfortable and uneasy. And then when I became a Christian, when I got saved, one of the clear ways I knew something happened was every time the stinking doors of the church were open, I wanted to be there. In fact, I was almost frustrated. Couldn't we just seven days a week do stuff together? It just, and I wanted to be with fellow Christians. I wanted to be in the fellowship of the Lord's people. And here, Saul, we see me now as a connection to the disciples of the Lord. And what a beautiful picture of him just fellowshipping with other believers, spending time with other followers of Jesus, because this was a valuable benefit and a needed thing for Saul of Tarsus as he learned it early in his life in order to remain effective and on track in his new relationship with Christ. 
And, you know, as I look at this passage, I think to myself, what a valuable lesson, really, for all of us to learn very early on as a follower of Christ, the need to spend time, days and hours, and be together with fellow disciples of Christ. Whether it's hanging out for, you know, meals together or opportunities to just be with one another or gatherings for worship, it's important that we develop the spiritual discipline of spending time together with other disciples of Christ, even as we see Saul doing it. That spiritual habit really is what prepares us to experience the best in spiritual growth and maturity. That's part of the process that God uses to grow us up spiritually and to help us to stay on track spiritually as well through that accountability and connection. Make sure that you establish the spiritual practice in your life of spending time with other disciples, being together with the Lord's people. We need that to stay connected. Hebrews 10 The writer says there, let us hold fast the confession of our hope, listen, without wavering. And then he says this about not wavering. He says, for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good deeds, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some but he says exhorting one another. Interesting, he ties together not wavering spiritually with not forsaking being together with the Lord's people. When people begin as Christians to forsake the assembly and forsake being together with other Christians, you know what they do? They waver. It just happens. Yes, we are called to be an individual child of God, But the Bible also tells us that we are to be connected to the family of God, that we're like a body with many parts. And the body needs to be connected to the rest of the body to both receive what it needs and as well to give and supply what it's supposed to in its role and function. So I love this picture here. Early on, Saul, he's he's spending some days with the disciples there at Damascus. Verse 20 then tells us, and then immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. So notice Paul has a passion to share Jesus Christ with others after he himself has now met Jesus in salvation. It says immediately, the idea is right away, very quickly. After he's saved, he now wants to share his salvation experience with other people. What's happened to him has just so touched and impacted his heart that now it says he began to preach and proclaim that Jesus Christ is the son of God to other people. He started testifying what he now learned about Jesus. He just wanted to tell other people. He wanted to share with other people the salvation that he found. And he almost sort of felt a sense of obligation to enlighten others because his eyes had been open. He's thinking, I've got to tell other people about this. I was blind so long. I need to let them know that Jesus is the son of God. It says Paul there went into the synagogues to begin to share this it says there in verse 20 now the synagogue was basically the gathering place for the jewish people where they would come together for worship to worship jehovah god and typically in a synagogue which is a reference to the building the people would assemble and gather together collectively much like we do here and during a synagogue gathering the jews would spend some time in prayer They would typically read a portion of scripture from the Old Testament, and then typically someone would get up and give some explanation off of that passage and perhaps an exhortation in light of what the passage said, and then they would spend some time in prayer together again. 
and as a traveling Jewish rabbi, which is what Paul uh, Saul, excuse me, of Tarsus was at this point. He was a well-known rabbi from Jerusalem who had been well-trained in the Old Testament scriptures. It would be very customary to allow a visiting rabbi, especially a popular rabbi like Saul was from Jerusalem, if they were present in your synagogue meeting to have the opportunity to sort of be the guest speaker that day and to be the one to get up and read a text from the Old Testament scriptures and to begin to share and give some explanation. So what a wonderful opportunity all of a sudden presents itself to Saul. There he is in Damascus and he's a brand new convert to Christ. But they know Saul's also a visiting Jewish rabbi from Jerusalem who's a Pharisee and well-trained. So they offer him the opportunity to share in the synagogue that morning. And Saul thinks to himself, this is gonna be great. <laughs> this wonderful opportunity now. I'd be more than happy to select the scripture and to share. And he gets up and I wonder perhaps as he's there in the synagogue, does he open to Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22 and one of these passages that's so pointed about Jesus and he reads the text and after he reads it, he says, now let me give to you explanation exactly who this is referring to. And then he just starts telling people how Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ and he's the son of God and and how this all connects and that Jesus who came was the actual savior that God sent that he was the very son of God himself coming to earth to provide salvation and how Isaiah 9 said that unto us a child is born but yet a son is given he said look that child Jesus that was born that was actually God giving us his son so that he could come and live the sinless life we could not and then die sacrificially. And Isaiah 53 describes his sufferings and God let his son die for our sins on the cross and to raise again from the dead so that he could give us forgiveness and eternal life and be the necessary mediator and, and, and just starts to explain all this to them there in the synagogue to the Jews. First Timothy 2 says, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And I can imagine how Saul, how, how ultimately who writes that later as Paul the Apostle, that that was right where his laser focus was. Well, this all makes sense. God became our Savior and he did it by sending his Jesus is the son of God. And this is how it all happened so that he could be a perfect mediator being fully divine and fully human. He was in touch with both divinity and humanity and he could make mediation so that we could have salvation as God wanted us to. Well, as Saul begins to share this in the synagogue of Damascus, as they hear this, look at the response in verse 21. It says, then all who heard this were amazed and said, wait a minute, is this not he? who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem and has come here for that purpose so that he might bring them bound to the chief priest. So as the people here, Saul of Tarsus, who they know as this, you know, vicious persecutor of the way of any who followed the name of this person, Jesus, and what he's been doing for the last number of years and how he came to Damascus to hunt down more Christians and arrest them and bring them like criminals back to Jerusalem to the priest as he gets up and he starts proclaiming Christ in the synagogue and saying, Jesus is the son of God. They know this backstory in his former life and they're saying, well, wait a minute, isn't this the guy that was 
spending so much time and energy trying to destroy everyone who called on the name of Jesus, and now he's standing here in our assembly telling us to trust in Jesus, telling us to follow Jesus. Isn't this the very guy that was you know, doing everything he could to bring people bound like prisoners and criminals back to the priest? And now he's telling us, if you trust Jesus, if you follow Jesus, you'll be set free. And their minds were just blown. It says literally they were amazed because what they were thinking to themselves and probably saying is what happened to him? He's like a completely different man now. It's like he's turned around 180 degrees and, and the opposite direction. It's like he has a brand new purpose. And the truth of the matter was, right. He's a completely different man now. He's turned 180 degrees the opposite direction and he has a brand new purpose because he met Jesus personally. And so it changed his entire life. It turned him completely around to a different way of living. He was transformed and changed by the power and the love of the Lord. So his desire is totally different now. His reason to live and to exist is completely different now. He has a brand new purpose. His life change was amazing to people as they could tell the obvious difference of how much he had changed. And you know, this illustrates clearly, no doubt, the power of the Lord Jesus Christ to change a person, to make somebody a brand new individual. An encounter with the Lord does that. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. That's what happens. When you come to Jesus Christ and you experience his salvation, you get a brand new lease on life. It's the whole concept of why Jesus, on one occasion, John 3, it's not the only term he used to describe salvation and relationship with God, but that's why Jesus used the term in John 3 about being born again. It was one of the terms that is used descriptively to describe a spiritual life and what it means to start a spiritual life. A birth is a beginning. You're you're born physically and, and, and you start a brand new life on earth. Well, when you're born spiritually, you're born a second time. It's like the Lord says, okay, I'm giving you a new birth process. You can be born all over again. You can start life all over again. All the cruddy, dumb, ridiculous things you've done, it's all gone. Here's a brand new opportunity to live life different, to live for Jesus with a new purpose, with a clean slate and your sins forgiven. And, and it is true how when you come to meet Christ, that's what happens. Old desires disappear, old patterns, old habits, they go away. And you get brand new habits and you develop new desires and new ways of living. That's why Romans 6, describing union with Christ, says that we then walk in newness of life. And people notice it, like we see here with Saul of Tarsus, they could tell. Now, what we don't see in the text, but we know from the New Testament as a whole, taking the different passages of Scripture, is somewhere probably between verses 20 and 23, there's actually a gap of time that exists there in Saul of Tarsus's life where he actually departs from Damascus 
for a season and he goes off into the desert of Arabia for a period of time and then comes back to Damascus again the second time before he then moves on to Jerusalem. Galatians 1 describes this. I'll just read the account to you. Paul, giving his testimony later as an apostle there, describes these earlier years of his life. He said this, When it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me, that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went to Arabia and then returned again to Damascus and then after three years went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and remained with him 15 days. Now, commentators are not sure where the gap fits exactly. Uh, We're pretty certain somewhere between verses 20 through 23. It's a guess at best. What we do know for certain is there was some period, a gap of time or a season where Saul leaves Damascus, goes out to the desert of Arabia for potentially upwards to almost maybe three years. And he goes out to the desert of Arabia and then returns back a second time to Damascus before he goes off to Jerusalem. And I think maybe that gap probably fits best here between verse 21 and verse 22, that after Saul starts sharing and ministering, he likely realizes that there's still some gaps in his understanding, that he needs a little more depth and maturity in his spiritual life, and so likely is led to go off to the deserts of Arabia, and there he spends some time, potentially a few years, kind of off the radar, living in obscurity, not serving in any ministry capacity, just further in his humility, learning and developing, allowing time for the Lord to further mature him and even reveal to him what it really means to be a follower of Christ. I imagine that during that time there out in the desert that that there Saul and the Holy Spirit is like connecting dots in his mind with the Old Testament scriptures. And all of a sudden he's seeing how the Old Testament scriptures line up with the realities of Jesus. And I imagine all of a sudden like light bulbs going off. He, oh my goodness, I never saw that before. That, that passage speaks so clearly of prophetically of the coming of Jesus and all these dots are connecting in his head. He's learning things. And I imagine too, he's probably unlearning some things. He's probably unlearning all the religious traditions and customs of Judaism that so controlled his life for his entire upbringing. He's realizing some of these traditions and customs of religiosity, this was actually getting in my way. And it's about just having a relationship with Jesus and knowing him and following him and loving him. And and I imagine he's receiving revelation about how to be saved by grace and through faith and apart from the law. And all this time he's getting rooted and grounded spiritually so that he can be more fruitful and effective for the Lord as a servant of Christ. And, And look, in light of this, before we move on, let me make an application in connection to that time in Arabia. Having that initial season of just growing and learning and getting a good grasp on the word of God, and knowing what it means to just walk with Jesus yourself as a Christian, that process of development spiritually, so valuable. So valuable for Saul, so valuable for all of us. Look, we need to realize you have to learn how to sit before you can stand, right? You gotta learn how to walk before you run. And the same is true spiritually. 
There's nothing wrong with a season where you kind of just sit and glean and learn and let the Lord just sink your roots down deep and you get a grasp on the word of God and you begin to develop and mature before you try and go running full speed to maybe be effective for the Lord. It's good to have a season of just gleaning and learning. And and I want to say, don't avoid or try to avoid the helpful process of just sitting and growing and learning for a season, especially when you first come to the Lord. Allow the Lord to work in you personally. It's a part of a process of development in our lives. Well, having been away for, it seems, some time, it seems now, verse 22, Saul of Tarsus comes back to Damascus And look at the benefit of being away and having some retreat time, you could call it that, in the wilderness with Jesus. It says, verse 22, but Saul increased all the more in strength. And then he confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. So notice his spiritual strength is developed. His his capacity to efficiently prove very clearly with convincing statements that Jesus was indeed the Christ, the promised Messiah. He's developed since his last time there in Damascus. He's increased all the more in strength. He has a better grip on the word of God now. He's much stronger in his understanding of the scriptures. He's much stronger, no doubt, in his own personal walk with the Lord. He's matured. He's become strong in the Lord and ministering now in the power of the Holy Spirit. And there was an increased strength and power in his ability to reason spiritually for Christ. It says there in verse 22 that he confounded, he he astonished and, and perplexed the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, being able to prove to them that Jesus was the Christ. One translation renders that Saul's preaching became more and more powerful and the Jews in Damascus couldn't refute his proofs. See, that time of personal reflection and just being alone with the Lord, as a result of that, guess what happened? Now Saul knew what he believed and he knew why he believed it. Now Saul had these deep roots in the Lord and with conviction and clarity, that process spent in the time of wilderness spiritually, it reaped wonderful benefits in his life. Because now as he begins to move forward, his roots are deeper and he's much more fruitful in his ability to convey things. And again, we never want to despise the process of preparation. It has a good purpose. It has a wonderful purpose as God's preparing us at times in our life for the next thing. And let me say, if we're going to speak for the Lord, certainly we want to make sure we're able to be efficient in the process. It says here now he's able to prove he's well prepared to reason well what is true. First Peter three says, always be ready to give a defense for the hope or reason that we have in Christ. That is that we are to be ready. We want to be equipped. So it's a good thing to go through that process where the Lord prepares us more thoroughly in our lives. Verse 23 tells us, look at the response. Now, after many days were passed of him proving that Jesus is the Christ there, After many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. Now, isn't that interesting? The man who once sought to kill and get rid of all these Christians, now there's a death sentence, a death plot against his life. Now they're seeking to actually kill Saul as a brand new and on fire Christian. They're making plans to kill him. This is a legitimate death threat. What's interesting is as the legitimate death threat comes to pass, verse 24 says, but their plot becomes known to Saul 
and they watched the gates day and night. They were just waiting for him to leave the city so that it says they could kill him. His life was literally at risk. So verse 25, the disciples then took him by night and they let him down through the wall in a large basket. So they become aware of the death plot and ultimately the disciples of the Lord recognize, you know what? It would be wise to send him away for his own welfare and his own benefit and long-term usefulness. It says there in verse 25, at nighttime, they let him down through a wall in a large basket. See, sometimes in that day, there were uh, actually homes, apartments, if you would, built right into the walls of a city. And when they would do that, the interior door, the entry door would be on the inner part of the wall so that no one could come in from the outside. And then typically, the second story of a house would then have windows so that you could look out. But if there was an enemy invader, they couldn't just come right in your front door. So with this sort of setup, as Saul is being hunted here, they realize we need to find a way to let him escape. So they come up with this idea, rather than him going out through the gate, they actually lower him down through one of these windows in a home in the wall in a large basket down to the outside of the city wall where he could escape without being seen. Interesting, the disciples realized that at this moment, it would not be wise for Saul to keep striving and stubbornly pushing to keep sharing the Lord in this place where he had been doing such. Take notice, it was not a matter of not having enough faith. It was not a matter of pressing against the spirits of warfare. It was a matter of realizing at this juncture that God has a plan and process in all things and that season of an open door of Saul having opportunity to share Christ in that synagogue and to prove Jesus there in Damascus, that season was closing and quite abruptly. When they want to kill you, that's called a closed door. Just, just for reference. The season was closing it was an open door prior to that. And look, the disciples needed to discern the season and the door was closing and submit to that. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time to keep silent and then a time to speak, a time to plant and gain and also a time to uproot and lose, that to everything there is a season and a time and appointed hour for every purpose God has under heaven. The important thing, listen, is embracing seasons when you're in them and when you're in the season, stop trying to get out of the season. Embrace the season you're in and bloom to no end. But when the season comes to a close, don't try and strive to keep it going. Just let the season end. Don't strive in the flesh to try and keep some season going if the Lord's bringing it to an end. Perhaps that's the process, and this was God's process, a time for Saul to move onward to the next thing in his life, to the next phase in his life. You know, perhaps recently in your own personal life, you feel like a door is closing on something that you once were doing. Can I encourage you this morning? Don't be disappointed by that. Maybe, no pun intended, even like Saul here, you feel like as the result of that, you're feeling really let down. And you feel very let down because of the fact that it just, I, I don't understand. Why is the door closing? What? I mean, and, and there's that struggle sometimes. And we actually feel hurt and let down sometimes when a door's closing 
and maybe we don't want it to close or we don't understand why it's closing, look, don't be discouraged. I want to encourage you, embrace the process in faith. Trust that God is sovereign and understand that God is always in control and that closing of a door may be the thing to open the next opportunity. It may be that that's what's necessary. Sometimes the Lord's process of preparing us for the next thing includes being disappointed, hurt, let down by something or someone, but that's what actually then frees us up to move on to the next phase. That's what creates the open door, the open window to step into the next thing on God's schedule for our lives. So Saul's let down to escape. Verse 26 says, and then when he had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. He thought he joined the Jerusalem church since he had to leave the last one. But they were all afraid of him. And they did not believe that he was a disciple. So as he heads back to Jerusalem, to the main mother church of early Christianity here, notice he's not greeted very warmly. Here comes back Saul of Tarsus, this brand new excited Christian, and people are afraid of him. It says that he tried to join, but they were all afraid and didn't believe he was a disciple. In other words, what that's conveying is, is when he went into the Jerusalem church, people thought, you're a spiritual con. Are you kidding me? You're just here to try and pretend like you're a Christian so that as soon as we're vulnerable, then you can take over and attack us or start arresting us. So you have this very natural set of circumstances that's unfolding. The people didn't believe his commitment was real. He tried to join the disciples. I mean, imagine what that would be like for Saul of Tarsus coming back now as a Christian to the Jerusalem church with the reputation he had before he left and went away for a time. He comes in, you know, on a Sunday morning gathering and he sits down and all the people on that side of the sanctuary, they all move to the other side of the sanctuary, you know, where he tries to start talking to somebody and people are, hey, my wife's calling me, sorry. And imagine the, the awkwardness of all that. Here he is, he's excited, he wants to join the disciples, he's got this new love for the Lord. I imagine as they didn't believe that he was sincerely a disciple, and that's what the Bible says. They did not believe. They were all afraid of him. I imagine that must have been quite another bummer in Saul's heart. Probably another real disappointment. Another blow again to his heart where he just feels really let down. But what's the Lord doing? Shaping his character. Another part of the process of preparing him to be who he's supposed to be, the, the disappointment, the humbling experience, God's teaching him life lessons. See, because of his past life and what things he did, it took the people there in Jerusalem, even the believers, some time to ultimately be open to trusting that he indeed was a changed man. There was a process that needed to happen. They needed to fully be able to understand as it was very normal that there would be some hesitation. I mean, come on, that's natural. Remember who Saul of Tarsus was? It's totally natural. There would be some hesitation and a process of time that needed to kind of work itself through. And that meant, guess what? That Saul needed to extend some grace to people. He needed to extend some patience to people. Knowing his own background and what things he had done prior, he needed to give people now some time to work that out a little bit. And he needed to be willing to be humble enough to offer some understanding in this process of being open to accepting him or letting him be restored back into their lives. And it was critical that Saul would do this to allow the disciples this process to gain trust. 
to build trust once again. And again, I'm not saying that the initial rejection and holding Saul at arm's length probably wasn't hurtful to Saul. It probably was. It probably crushed him. I'm sure it was discouraging and it was difficult. But even though it was disheartening, he needed to humble himself and allow those people time to work those things through. This was an important part of God's process. He needed to fully consider the great extent of his personal hurt that he had caused and the harm that he had caused people. And he couldn't overlook that and the wounds that were caused and minimize it, listen, just because of his own impatience. Why can't you just get over it? Take me back. And and he's human. I'd be feeling like that. I mean, can't you see I'm genuine? But see, there are great lessons to be learned here on both sides. Because if indeed Saul was to have relationship, he needed to allow and now suffer a little bit himself and allow them time to work through that process to ultimately demonstrate his genuineness and his sincerity. And he needed to extend that time and grace patiently now. And for all of us in our lives, look, if you're here this morning and you've done something hurtful or wrong in your past, but maybe now you've genuinely repented and you've changed. You need to be willing in humility to be realistic and patient with people in the process of their acceptance of you now. Or maybe restoration. And maybe you won restoration or acceptance, but you got you to gotta give them the grace that, that they need now to work through that process and be realistic and, and embrace, hard as it is, I know, but embrace the slow pace of rebuilding and somebody working through some things and, and, and maybe ultimately coming to the point where they can accept something that's changed in your life is genuine. And let me say on the other side of that, if you are someone who has been hurt by someone, whether a spouse or somebody who's deeply wounded or disappointed you in your life, it is normal to be afraid to trust again. It's normal. It's natural to be a little bit gun-shy and hesitant, but let me say to you, you must be careful because the Lord can change people. He does change people. The Bible says that God's love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, that it hopes all things, believes all things. And we have to be willing to do that in order to be open to extend grace and acceptance, to have a relationship restored, because that's the heart of God, that we would be open to those things. Well, seeing the struggle happening, look what Barnabas does, verse 27. Barnabas, seeing this experience, has took him, brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So see the struggle happened. Barnabas, this man, steps into the situation and wonderfully comes in and he tries to encourage harmony in the relationship between Saul and the disciples there in the church in Jerusalem. He recognized Saul wants to genuinely have fellowship, that they're struggling with disbelief. So it says he takes Saul, brings him to the apostles, the leaders in the church, and he starts to advocate on Saul's behalf. And he says, look, this guy genuinely had an encounter with Jesus. And the Lord spoke to him on the road of Damascus. And from what I know, he then started boldly preaching Christ in Damascus. And and in a sense, Barnabas is saying, I think the guy's sincere. I think he deserves a shot. 
I really believe the Lord changed him and worked in his life. And he's trying to pacify their concerns and prove that Saul was sincere and safe. He's trying to encourage them to be open to Saul. And no doubt, I'm sure this is probably encouraging to Saul, at least somebody's standing with me. (laughs) At least somebody's supporting me. You know, it's interesting. Barnabas's name literally means son of comfort or son of encouragement. And he lives up to his name very well in the Bible. He's just this gracious encourager to those who are down and need a hand up. He just was one of those kind of guys that could see the one who bottomed out, the person who failed, who flopped, and rather than just pass him by or brush him aside or hope that they survive, he was one of those people that was willing to step out, even risk himself, risk his own reputation and say, hey, that person's down. Maybe I can be the one person who will step in, grab their hand, encourage them and pull them back up and say, look, there's still a future ahead of you. There's still something available to you that God can change things and heal things and restore things. And he was willing to take a chance on Saul to help him move forward into God's best for his life. At a time when he was in a difficult spot, he's willing to be supportive to Saul and even advocate for him in front of other people. Barnabas intervenes on Saul's behalf to try and help him move beyond his past and into the wonderful future that God had in store for Saul. He encouraged those who were hurt by him to soften their hearts here, and he encourages them to give him a chance. He's different, he's saying. Let him prove himself. Give him an opportunity. And look, let me just say this morning, what a wonderful ministry, folks to function like a Barnabas. Would to God we have a few more of them in the body of Christ. People who are encouragers, people who are willing to be an encourager to someone who's failed. Maybe they had a really rough past. Maybe they made some very foolish decisions and made a real mess or mistake and maybe they just need somebody who's willing to give them a hand up. Somebody who's willing to love them and extend grace after grace in their messy, rough situation and believe and hope in what the Lord can do in their life and willing to just give the encouragement to stand with them and support them. And even beyond that, perhaps to be the one person to encourage others to extend love and trust and not shut people out and give them a second shot and give them an opportunity to demonstrate, you know, sometimes part of God's process to prepare somebody to experience the good future God wants involves someone like a Barnabas stepping into their life. And I would say this morning, how might that apply for you? Who might there be in your life? Maybe some person that the Lord wants you to intervene like a Barnabas, an encourager in their life, to be that helping person. Some situation maybe where the Lord can use you in that way. Well, look, apparently it worked because look at verse 28. It says, so he, Saul, was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. So now what's the picture? He's going in and out, having fellowship at the church. They let him join finally, thanks to Barnabas. He's coming in, he's going out, he's spending time with the disciples, proving that he's genuine as a follower of Christ. And verse 29 says, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists. They were the Greek-speaking Jews. But look at this, they attempted to kill him. So once again, he goes back to boldly preaching Jesus, telling people he's the way of salvation and the Christ and Messiah that was sent. And again, the response of his spirit-filled preaching. What does it say there in verse 29? People wanted to kill him. Wow, apparently it must be pretty risky to be faithful 
in just speaking the truth for the Lord sometimes. Here he's just speaking by the Spirit, speaking the truth, and again, it angers people and they actually, again, another death threat is put against his life. Well, look what happens, verse 30 and 31. Again, they want to kill him. And when the brethren, the Christians, the brothers of the Lord found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and then they sent him out to Tarsus. And then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. So again, for a second time, what happens? Another door closes on Saul. Another time, a second time now, the door comes slamming shut. This time he's sent away for his own safety and he's sent back to his home city, it says, verse 30 there, of Tarsus. The believers send him off. Now the events here, think this through with me, are very unique to consider. Just ponder this for a moment. Here's Saul of Tarsus. Here is this guy, again, he's an important, popular, well-known, famous guy in the city of Jerusalem. And now he's had a powerful conversion to Christ. On top of that, he has proved he is a, a very equipped preacher and minister of the gospel. One would think, right, that the church in Jerusalem would say, hey, we need to keep that guy around. I mean, it's like a celebrity that's now a brand new Christian. Hey, that guy, he's got a name, he's got recognition, and wow, he is a powerful communicator. We need to keep him here in the church in Jerusalem and use this guy, but rather the church feels led of the Lord that the Spirit is saying, get rid of this guy. Send him away. And they send him off to Tarsus, his home city, where he goes. And we know historically, he ends up being out in the city of Tarsus for upwards to seven to ten years. Off the radar. Obscurity again. No spotlight for the new celebrity who's saved. Off the radar, out in obscurity. But again, what's happening? A process of further preparation in Saul's life where the Lord is continuing to get him ready for the fuller use of his future many years of preparation but they were well used by the Lord because honestly consider who Saul becomes Paul the apostle I would say God's process of preparation was well used that the Lord knew what he was doing as he's there look preparation takes time Yet the time of being prepared always has a good purpose. Trust the Lord with it. It happened in, in Saul's life. What's interesting to think of as well is that after Saul was sent away and this important, seemingly important guy is removed, look what happens at verse 31. When they removed this seemingly important guy, then the churches, it says, had peace and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. In other words, the implication from the Holy Spirit there is once they sent him away, the church did really well. Once they sent Saul away and sent him off to Tarsus, it was at that point that without Saul, the church began to multiply. It began to flourish. The reason? Because the Spirit of the Lord works and he is in no way dependent upon any one man. It's the spirit of the Lord's work. And so even though Saul was removed and sent off, 
The process of how the Lord works is not dependent upon a man. It's dependent upon the power of the Holy Spirit to work among the church, no matter what human vessel is there. You know, I think this is a, a, a great reminder. The churches here, it says, throughout all Israel, Judea, Galilee, it says that all the churches were, were multiplying. That is, they were flourishing. Good fruit was happening after Saul was sent away out of the picture. You know, to me, in some ways, I fully relate to that. Many of you know I used to pastor a, a church in Pennsylvania for 13 years, a Calvary Chapel we planted there before the Lord directed us here. Uh, you know, sometimes people will say, so how's the work going Back in, in York, the Calvary Chapel that you're passing for, I said, great, now that I've left. <laughs> and it's true. So it's like, it's like the Lord send you away, and now I can really work. And just, and just wonderful, wonderful. But you know what it's a testament of? It's a work of the Spirit of the Lord. And, and sometimes the Lord may be saying in our lives, look, when you get out of the way, then I can work. <laughs> Fine, whatever you want, Lord. It's your work. And verse 31 is a description of the fruitful work of the Holy Spirit in a church. I mean, look what it's saying. There was an atmosphere of peace among the Lord's people. People were being edified, built up, strengthened spiritually. It says that the Holy Spirit was directing people to walk in the fear of the Lord, reverence for God, holiness among the church, and the the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit was giving love and compassion through the people ministering to one another. The Spirit of the Lord just bringing healthy, fruitful work among the church. Look, the process of the Lord, I understand, folks, the process of the Lord may not in our lives always be what we prefer. It may not be something we understand or something we envision, the process, but I'll tell you this, trust the Lord with the process. Trust the Lord with the process in your life. He is a wise builder and he's preparing you for his best to flourish. Why don't we stand together and pray?